0: Uh, GM, Jen everyone. This is Clement from Comet, and today I'm with Sven. Did it pronounce correctly? It's correct. Thank you. Sven from Monarium. So you are the the co-founder of of Monarium. Um, And my first question to you is, could you sell me Monarium in in, in under 30 seconds?
1: Yeah, it's just real money on blockchains, fully authorized, fully regulated uh, and linked to the major currency payment systems of Europe, SEPA. So you you hold not stable coin uh, using Monarium. You hold the real euro that you can even use to pay your tax with, okay, as one of our users did recently. And you can pay it straight into the bank account of the tax authority.
0: Perfect. Under uh, 30 seconds. So, Monarium is uh, like real euro that can be on chain. Perfect. Uh, Well, could you please introduce yourself and and tell me more about you and and what you do at Monarium uh, and and then we'll go through the the whole, uh, I mean, the the whole company and what you're building with the recent news about Gnosis Pay and and all this stuff.
1: Of course. Um, So by background, I trained in physics and engineering. And the first company I helped start was at Stanford in 98, uh, a biotech company which by Stanford standards was a success, but very modest success compared to some other Stanford spin outs. Uh, But instead of staying in the US, I moved to Europe and I've been in Europe since the late 90s, um, uh, working for startups, uh, investing, and then uh, I was living in London because I lived in Iceland, but then I lived in London for 10 years and I was living in London um, when on holiday in California in 2011, uh, somebody asked me coincidentally, what do you think about Bitcoin? And I said, I have no clue. Uh, let me get back to you. And a few months later, I had the opportunity to download the Satoshi client. and start looking at the code, and there was almost no documentation except the white paper. But I was like, whoa, it hit something, yeah. like a, a note. So, and I sent back to the person, Bit, uh, email was like a one-liner. Bitcoin is dynamite waiting to be ignited. So, that's how I got into crypto, and it was fortunate because I had background in you know i had been around financial services like as a summer intern at a couple yeah. of companies i was fortunate enough that, like i took crypto cryptography as a course at stanford when i was there i'd been messing around with all the technology that was relevant to bitcoin and I also understood you know the big picture of the financial system and then uh, but i also understood the limitations of bitcoin because bitcoin is really uh, i mean is a very uh, abstruse and and uh, form of currency is really a chain of signatures. That's what it yeah. is. Um, so you can't really, and, and currency is a very sticky phenomenon. And in modern you know, developed societies, yeah, currency is really something that's imposed by government. It's why it's called fiat. It's just created out of nothing. And it's for a reason because it's um, it's a standard that is used to, to exchange value uh, between people and entities, legal entities, and also across time. So, so it makes sense for the government to define what standard to use. And it's a sticky um, and you can, use, I mean, the government money is the same money that you pay your taxes with. So but the so and it's also a very sticky phenomenon um, in people's minds, because people are used to thinking about value in terms of whatever currency they mostly transact in. So it was always uh, also obvious to me that Bitcoin would have a hard time gaining mainstream adoption in payments. So when Ethereum came out, Vitalik, I met Vitalik at one of the early Bitcoin conferences, And I took note when uh, uh, Ethereum was launched, and together with a a friend who was um, then part of uh, um, the board of governors of the, he was chairing the board of governors of the Central Bank of Iceland. We we uh, did a report on the relevance of blockchains for mainstream uh, financial services because we sort of believed in Vitalik's vision of. Tokenizing assets. We think, oh, this could be a great way of disintermediating or creating an alternative to the current financial system, wh- which is you know very sluggish, inefficient. So it makes sense to oh, okay, tokenized assets, put them on a chain, peer-to-peer transaction. Wow. Yeah. But we also, a conclusion of a report was this is like May 2016, was that um, the key dependency for mainstream adoption would always be a reliable form of fiat currency on chain like regular money dollar euro sterling what have you and so then in 2017 together with two other co-founders we started about exploring how to issue money on chain and we did Our well, first uh let we, me we start at Monerium in its present form we raised some outside money uh friends and families and angels as it were some of our own and then um uh, our first hire was a lawyer, and we started due diligencing the major jurisdictions for the appropriate form of regulation, because our view was always that money has to live inside a regulatory umbrella of major jurisdiction, financial services. Our premise is that financial services are regulated, need to be regulated, will always be regulated, and the debate should just be about how they should be regulated. But, you know, looking at America, Singapore, um, America, both the United States and Canada, and then Europe, uh, and and a couple of other jurisdictions, we we came across this brilliant form of license in Europe called electronic money. In our view, that's the ultimate stablecoin regulation because it's, been around since 2000 it's like it's been a secret hiding in plain sight in Europe it's been used by dozens of companies okay Uh, it's been used by the likes of PayPal transferwise and Revolut to build their businesses and what it really is it it, it is supposed to serve as a digital alternative to cash so we oh couldn't believe our luck oh we found in our home jurisdiction uh, Iceland, uh, which is uh, part of the European uh, economic area. so it with
0: But the not EU. Union, for the one that don't know how it works. You're from the uh, economic area, but not Union.
1: We're part of the four freedoms, that's yep. what's important. So we adopt the relevant directives from the EU. So we're yep. under the EU regulatory umbrella. and. Um, so so and so we and when we shopped around for regulators and and we looked at some of the nordics uh briefly at the fca in the uk but then our home regulator was quite receptive after a few introductory meetings they turned out to be whoa okay this is cool they said we understand that because the the electronic money directive specifically says that electronic money should be technically neutral and it so it started off as prepaid cards Mm -hmm. and then it uh started being used online and then it started being used in mobile wallets and they said oh okay we understand this blockchain thing is just means you have the electronic money but issued in as a token on chain so it's the same financial product essentially right yeah so they were receptive to our application we we applied in in like the late winter early spring 2018 about a year later we were granted the license and yeah about June 14th of June uh, 2019, we became the first company authorized to issue fiat stablecoin, AKA electronic money, on blockchain. Arguably, we're the first company in the world to do it properly.
0: Okay. Now, before Tether or Cycle?
1: Now, we started around the same time as Tether. So we, we we followed and we observed Tether from a distance. They started uh, trying to use the Bitcoin stack. It didn't work, of course. Yeah. Then they started moved over to Ethereum, which has worked, of course. But they they are totally outside the regulatory umbrella of a major jurisdiction. Yeah. And that was... So, you yeah, know, they've scaled phenomenally uh, during COVID in particular. But in our view, it will be very difficult to retrofit that business model onto um, mainstream businesses in major... Um, Jurisdictions, so so bless them for well, whatever they've been doing, pioneering money on blockchains yeah. outside the regulatory umbrella. That was never our view. We were always inside, and uh, we we observed Circle. Circle, of course, started doing something completely different, like Bitcoin as form payments, the OTC trading Bitcoin, and then they pivoted to um money on blockchain, um, stablecoin, and, yeah. but they pivoted based on U.S. licenses, which are not. Uh, supposed to work okay for holding all people's money they used money transmitter licenses that are state by state they're non-homogeneous in the united states they're not issued at the federal level and and so so they were and as as they themselves now have discovered and admitted they built their business on the wrong form of regulations in the us mm-hmm. uh, uh, i mean when jeremy Lair says calls in public Congress to act uh, you, you know that they have failed to you know essentially be regulated in the proper way bless them for, for their endeavors but they they didn't uh, comply in the right way and the US Paxos however uh, I think they tried a sounder approach using trust-based licenses which are intended to hold other people's money as opposed to sending it like the money transmitter licenses and so they started as a new york based trust and i now i believe they have a federal trust license so i think that's a, that's a sounder way but america has discovered essentially that it has nothing comparable to no there it has no regulation for stable coin and it has nothing compared to what europe has what europe has is electronic money which is essentially stable coin is the yeah. perfect stable coin rag in our view so
0: i i got so many questions about that that's okay <laughs> well um and, and they are all like I mean as you do give me like lots of insights um I, I don't know which one to start now but let, let me
1: add one thing though yeah. during COVID we we're doing close beta trials we we're using dollar sterling uh uh euros of course and isolated Krona testing all kinds of services how to settle tokenized assets on chain Starting with in partnership with TradeShift, which is a Danish company in supply chain services, we started trying to settle invoices on chain using uh, regular currency, factoring, meaning uh, borrowing against invoices on chain using regular currency. So what we did uh, with TradeShift is is pioneer use cases for tokenized assets, mainstream assets like invoices in particular. And we discovered also that the onboarding and the unwrapping and off wrapping was really um, flawed. We didn't really believe in this experience. We believed that okay, so like Satoshi said, you know, peer to peer, that it should be disintermediation. should be the most direct route between the money in the bank and the blockchain. Yeah. And aha, to us, we discovered well, okay, that Europe has this brilliant payment system called SEPA, which is relatively modern, and the main currency of Europe, uh, the euro, is is you know is, is essentially powered by SEPA. So why don't we go and build a connection between SEPA and blockchain, between SEPA and, and that's what we did during COVID. So we hunkered down when the, during the negative interest rates during, uh, for euros and just built this. My deaf uh, colleagues uh, did a, a fantastic job of getting this up and running. So, and so we have a bridge uh, or, or, or a seamless, we have, we have fiat on chain, but, uh, uh, which is the URI, so the first authorized regulated fiat stablecoin. In Europe, okay, okay, and in the world, and, and but we all what we also have we made built this direct connection between the banking system of Europe, which holds eleven trillion euros worth of cash, mm-hmm. and Web three. So you can transfer your money seamlessly using our service between a bank account and blockchain, and back you can transfer it as seamlessly as if you were moving money inside the system between two banks.
0: Okay. Uh, okay. Great. Um, well, let me ask the first question. Uh, isn't it weird that a like a country outside of the uh, like European? Uh, I mean, that doesn't use the euro. Uh, actually, isn't it weird that you are building a euro a currency that you don't use on a daily basis? No, not really.
1: I mean, some ideas they just happen in places and, and which where they're not meant to be implemented necessarily. I mean, uh, we use our own currency, but we're inside the four freedoms. But what, what was really interesting is that we had a team that covered the range of skills that was needed to implement this idea. We had the my colleague who was a, a, a former chair of the central bank of, of Iceland. Other yeah. uh, two colleagues who built the cloud services business uh, from the, serving international customers from inside Iceland. So, so it, we, we had the skills we just happened to be based in Iceland. And what was key, however, I think with respect to the Icelandic location, because we, we talked to a few regulators in Europe before making, our, uh, presenting, or, or submitting our application in Iceland, is that the regulator in Iceland was was uh, quick to realize that the the that that we were applying under a license that was really intended to serve blockchains. They in the same way that it served magnetic um, prepaid cards, uh, mobile wallets, and all that. I think uh, there was nothing special about. Iceland per se but what was uh, special really is that the the team had the range of skills needed to uh, number one understand how the business was supposed to function as a a regulated financial services business number two um, build the the sort of IT part of the product as well but also the regulators the counterparty at the other side that had to approve our application they had the skills to understand and the trust to give us this pioneering license at the time, my my, my respect, I have full respect for these people who um, who obviously had to work hard also, you know, on their end to to try to co- come to grasp with yeah. the relevance of what we're doing. And I, I, based on the feedback we got from other regulators in Europe at the time, I don't think many other regulators would have been receptive to an application like ours, mm-hmm. like our the FCA in in, in the UK had just started thinking about this at the time the fca in the uk was probably the the other regulator in europe where we would have applied at the time
0: and would you say that uh i mean when you you, you build it uh, outside if i say so uh, even if it's not like really accurate but um, you build it outside the the europe uh, would you would you say that it was easier to build something uh, thanks to the icelandic regulator to build a a digital currency or um it it did not change anything to you
1: you you guys use google in france right yeah but it's built outside of france yeah Okay. use facebook in france built outside of france yeah instagram i mean yeah yeah okay so where do i stop
0: (laughs) no no but i mean uh, would you say that the regulator was more um uh Uh, was uh, uh, more facilitated, uh, was more helpful uh, to you rather than the French regulator, for example, because uh, in France, the regulator is really... uh, uh, He has some views on the technology, on everything happening. There is something in France called uh, le principe de précaution, which means that um, when something is going to be launched, if we don't know what could happen, then it shouldn't be launched and that makes the innovation in france for example so difficult in my opinion
1: no i'm sure because i don't know all the 27 european union member states that well i mean i know some of them better than others i mean we we we, we sort of touched upon the or we we made sort of inquiries in the baltics and the nordics and uh, not, not not much so in continental Europe, but uh, I would have thought under these circumstances that you know the regulators uh, in a major financial hub would have been the most uh, skilled at evaluating our application. And for me, the fallback was always the FCA in London at the time. Okay. Um, so with France, I, I I mean I have I understand that financial services need to evolve in a way that is. Uh, uh shall we say it's it doesn't present risk systemic risk in particular to um uh the general population iceland just went we went all through a global financial crisis in 2008 yes and iceland was the epicenter of that so what happened however after 2008 in iceland is that the regulator had to be rebuilt just like the banks just to tackle the very difficult uh, situation with both financial issues and technical issues that uh came about because of the, the crash. So the regulator when we uh, engaged with them first were they were actually starting to get past that and, and but they still had uh, you know uh, very qualified people who, who were interested enough to engage with us and, and able to engage with us in a way that they could you know uh, make an objective uh, decision to grant us the license and and license is always some matter of trust it's not something that you can go and claim right because it's at the discretion of the regulator so it's one thing is to get a license and the other is to maintain it uh but but i i have massive respect for the people who are inside the system uh, and i don't really know how the french uh, regulators are in their thinking but they of course must be mindful of not authorizing anything that could be detrimental to um, yeah Consumers or companies?
0: Definitely. Um, so you're saying on your website that the e is over collateralized? Yes. By one hundred and two percent. Yes. Yeah, tell me more about that.
1: No, that's just like the e money hold with PayPal from Luxembourg yeah. or for from Transferwise or from. I, yeah. It's the same standard. You see, it, it, it is uh, the European e money is like a standard for stablecoins for fiat stablecoins. Yeah. And as long as you can meet the obligations uh, of the standard, the requirements of the standards, uh, then you can issue the e-money. So it's number one, it has to be over collateralized by at least 2%. Okay. So it's 102%. Number two, you can safeguard only with either banks or uh, directly in high quality liquid assets. So you can put the e-money into a bank account, or you can put it directly into high-quality liquid instruments. Our policy is to put as much as we can into high-quality liquid assets. We safeguard the State Street uh, in Europe, uh, in AAA securities, which have maturity less than 180 days. Okay. So, so, uh, which lowers risk considerably. And then they have to be safeguarded in segregated accounts, which means the e-money is kept separate from our other assets it's your money legally speaking so if something happens to us that whoever um uh, needs to wind up the estate goes directly first to the e-money and pays it out ahead of all 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 the claims
0: okay so um at any time I can redeem one euro Mm -hmm. for one Mm e-e, anytime yes okay well um you're aware of that that uh in case of bankruptcy, uh, your money in Europe, uh, is, uh, I mean, you, you can redeem, you can, you, you know where I'm going with that probably, but, uh, if your bank account, I mean, if your bank, sorry, is going bankruptcy, um, the States, uh, could cover you up to 100,000 euros. We, we had to deal with all those issues in Iceland after 2008, okay. I was
1: living in London, but. Uh, I uh, my friend, who, who the central banker, who was who my co-founder also at Monerium, he got me involved in activism. John. John, who was who, yeah, he, he got me involved in activism in Iceland because we had an issue where one of the banks had collected deposits in Iceland and in the EU, and uh, but they, the, the the deposit insurance scheme in Iceland was unable to meet the guarantee. Okay. yeah so so there's a demand by some European nations at the time is particularly Britain and the Netherlands and the EU that Icelandic state guarantee what was missing from the deposit insurance fund and uh, this became a big um, issue in Iceland our government capitulated and uh, and agreed to do this which would have caused a lot of uh, hard, financial hardship in Iceland over many many years but the, uh, the Icelandic Constitution, The president can refer uh, uh, major issues like uh, legislation and international treaties to a popular vote. So there were two referenda in Iceland on this issue, and I was part of the the activist group that in the second referendum, where there was a considerably improved treaty, but fundamentally flawed treaty, uh, put uh, to the public vote, we, we lobbied against the government guaranteeing bank deposits. And that actually has its basis in the European law. The European law says that, that that deposit insurance schemes do not need or should not be guaranteed by the state if they're implemented the, in the right way. But what it also revealed is that these deposit insurance is inadequate in major crisis because it's just not enough. Whatever fraction of a percent you pay indirectly into the deposit insurance scheme in whatever country you are it's just not enough They're in a major catastrophe out of that whole um the, this was called the ISAVE save issue i save dispute um and but what, what and eventually it was resolved in a court in brussels which said essentially iceland you know the, the voters in iceland voted the right way it, it was unlawful of the eu and the britain and um the netherlands to demand taxpayer guarantee of bank deposits, because the insurance deposit scheme was in place, but it just happened to be inadequate. So but it was inadequate not because of Iceland, because of the European rules are inadequate. And after that, all the bail-in thinking came about, and Europe decided to set up these bail-in regimes, uh, which uh, essentially covered depositors in much better ways above and beyond the deposit insurance so deposit insurance well, a lot of people think there's they're covered by deposit insurance they are in some circumstances but not all e-money on the other hand is 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 and deposits remember deposits are a claim on the bank yes so so, so it's a claim on all the blob of underlying assets okay. whenever a bank goes bust but so so e-money e- e- has different properties it's it's protected by the two percent over collateralization but it's also protected because it's your money legally speaking it's not a claim on us it, it is a segregated assets and you have a direct priority claim on them if something happens to us
0: so it means that it cannot depict at any time
1: no that, that's not true nothing is safe 100 percent in life okay. but it's simpler solution. It's the say in our view, it's the safest, simplest way of safeguarding other people's money in a major jurisdiction. Uh, but there's it's, the safest way would be for us to be able to safeguard the e-money directly with the central bank. And there's now actually discussion of how e-money companies could do that. Yeah. Uh, and there's even discussion like in, in places like the IMF and also within the European yeah. uh, community um uh, so so that would be the safest way that we would just hold your money directly with um, the imf but of course the, the, there's always there's there's no perfect safety anywhere but it, it, to the best of my knowledge there's uh even if e-money, e-money has been around for 20 something years in the eu and, and and there's never been a circumstance where people holding e-money have not gotten their full. Uh, amount back in any difficulty so far now yeah. so far no. yeah, yeah. touch wood
0: <laughs> yes definitely um uh, uh, i know that people usually don't like to talk about their competitors but uh, i want to talk about your competitors um tether for example uh they write that the for each usdt uh like uh on the blockchain they have the equivalent uh on a say in a safe something like that which has don't which i don't trust honestly because regarding the amounts of usdt in on circulation and what they should have in a bank account or something like that they never uh they never really disclose the real money they, they, they had so for you the eu or e, uh which is uh on the blockchain is their ERE of the people i mean their their money uh so you don't uh print like more money than you have
1: no exactly and we have to undergo regular annual audits by an auditor so, so we come from this is like e-money is like a tradfi product that we are positioning for web3 but it's it's like a very robust TradFi product to represent cash. It's the best way to represent cash in, that we believe. Uh, 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 and so we're positioning for Web3. So so the checks that we have from the TradFi um, sort of regulatory umbrella is that we have to have annual audits and we have to have regular submissions to the regulator about how much we safeguard and how much we have issued and how much regulatory capital we have. Um, so so this is the TradFi way of being compliant, but we believe also in more transparency. so so we believe that you know some of these attestations, which have been uh, some of these uh, stablecoin issuers have started providing, I think they're very, very wholesome and and good for the community. Um, so we're, we're, it's on a roadmap to start providing regular attestations. Uh, Which is also done in some parts of TradFi, like in mutual funds in the United States. Uh, They provide always quarterly updates of their holdings. Uh, European usage funds do something similar. You can have a breakdown if you go to a usage fund and and see what's the underlying asset, right? So we believe of combining the best of transparency from TradFi and DeFi uh, and and making
0: uh, our product as transparent to the user as possible. Okay. Uh, okay. Awesome. Um, I got two major topics uh, mm-hmm. before we get to the end of, of, of this podcast, uh, which is honestly uh, far uh, like beyond my expectations. So I mean, it's really great. This is the first time uh, I talk about regulation and stuff like that. We always talk. We always talk about like Gigen stuff, and but this is the, the first time we have a like, really. Uh, Healthy and also um, and yeah important uh, chat. Um, the the first one will be about uh, the, the also the, the, the regulation. So uh, what do you think about CBDC? Uh I
1: don't think they will happen.
0: You you, you don't bad, think they will... b-
1: bad idea. that will never happen because okay so back before the internet did you ever go to a central bank to deposit your money or withdraw
0: before the internet i was 10. okay (laughs)
1: imagine your parents before the internet yeah did they ever go to a central bank to deposit no no okay exactly so central banks are not set up to serve regular people and regular companies so you don't trust that no 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 they're they're, central banks are set up to serve regulated financial institutions and sometimes some cases supervise them so so by issuing CTC directly to the public, central banks would be uh, essentially breaking their current mandates. They would be uh, competing with the institutions that they're supposed to serve and regulate and they would be centralizing uh, the financial services, which I think is bad for competition, bad for innovation. So I think it's a horribly bad idea and people should just stop thinking about it. The the, the much 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 better and natural idea and logical extension of the current banking system would be for central banks to start supporting e-money issuers like monarium in the same way they support the banks by giving them access to deposit facilities and payments facilities directly and not through the banks.
0: yeah but for example we already have the electronic q one it's 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 don't you think that this is too tempting for, for the states? It's okay. It, it sounds like a, a, a little bit like conspiracy, but don't you think it's too tempting for the states to have a, a money that you can control at any time, any I mean anywhere, uh, and for some reason that uh, you want to pay something, but you have a credit you have a, a credit score, and for some reason that your card won't work because the the state froze your money.
1: Yeah, I mean, China has a very, very difficult political system, different political system to uh, Europe and, and the Americas and, and much of the rest of the world. I don't think we, we should look to China for anything in financial services. No, uh, definitely. Except perhaps some part of the technology. I think we should look at the European model, which has been fundamentally based on open banking and, and essentially encouraging decentralization in financial services over the past 20 years or so. Uh, various types of uh, uh, regulations, like the e-money license, like the, the like having independent payment service providers. So, so, so I think we should be encouraging decentralisation in financial services, and Europe has been actually been very good at that for the past 20 years.
0: Okay, that's fine um and and so this is my last uh this is the last topic and my last question um so you uh, gnosis pay uh, announced like uh yesterday they are launching their their own uh debit card uh on Gnosis chain obviously um and, and i i heard that there will be like a company behind that uh working with them uh could you elaborate on, on this partnership with
1: Builds on strengths of all sites in this partnership, uh, from the technology providers to uh, Visa, traditional financial service providers to Gnosis Safe, which is uh, the most trusted uh, wallet on chain in yeah. many respects. So our contribution there is to provide the regulated authorized euro on chain that people can use to settle uh, a payment at a visa terminal, uh, uh, essentially, worldwide, because they, we, we we can issue euros, but they can travel to. We we have to onboard customers directly, and and we have to redeem to, to we can only issue and uh, redeem to customers that we have onboarded directly. But they can pass the our euros on on chain to whoever, and um so it's because it's a bearer instrument, unlike a bank deposit, it can move freely like cash, right? Yeah. So whoever holds euro uh, issued by us the theory in their gnosis safe and has this card can use it to pay at a terminal uh, uh, wherever they like they themselves of course have to be onboarded by the issuer of the card right yeah which is gnosis pay right so 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 it is all inside the compliance of the regulatory scheme but our, our strength in this uh, uh wonderful um brilliant project is to provide the authorized regulated euro on chain which can the the, the user can use to pay the bill and merchant can then hold on chain or redeem straight to the bank or transfer straight to the bank so this opens up from the merchant side also the possibility to start using safe as their main financial app, and and Safe is 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 so beautifully constructed, it's so modular, it's so composable. It it, 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 it frees the end users, the merchants, uh, and the consumers on the other side from the constraints of the modern uh, financial closed walled garden proprietary API apps. Yeah, this unbundles everything, and is in the spirit of DeFi, and I think. You know it's you just can't be bullish enough on DeFi in this respect this is just a very simple beautifully crafted use case which shows how the world can be uh, no more world gardens just open
0: apis open standards and composable services okay so you're also bullish on like uh, the new several calls, the, the the one from Curve, for example, or the Go from Ave.
1: I don't really want to comment on any specific <laughs> protocols because people just come, I don't want to no, seem yeah. to be endorsed. But there's so much interesting experimentation in this space. Um, and that's the whole point of DeFi. DeFi is open standards, permissionless innovation. On the internet unlike the closed proprietary interfaces or modern try to buy i i i i I, it's still the early days it is barely hitting mainstream yet but there's a big big massive wave of real world assets and real world use cases coming online which will just put you know the cryptocurrency speculation is always going to be there but you know it will become such a small subset of everything else in the future in our view that yeah. you know, DeFi has just begun.
0: Great. Thank you very much, Sven. Thank you. Thank you, you Clement. Yeah. Uh, well, Merci beaucoup, <laughs> monsieur. <laughs> Merci. And we are done. Oh, chills. Literal chills.